0: The fact that we're celebrating communion today uh, fits in real real well with the topic that we're going to be discussing today. We just celebrated being part of the body of Christ, that we are one within His body. And we do this in remembrance of Him and for what He's done for us. And I'm going to share a little bit about that similar topic today. Uh, And I'm going to take us back here for just a moment uh, to my past and... uh, when I graduated from college, I uh, moved back home and began a series of years of just meandering, trying to figure out, what am I going to do with my career? Am I going back to school, part-time jobs, a little bit of school, stop school, change things, doing a variety of things, figuring out, what's my friendship situation like? So high school friends, non-high school friends, some new friends? And then eventually, during that time as well as well, had grown up in church with my folks, but started just kind of meandering from my faith as well. I wasn't sure how solid I was on some things, and eventually, over the years, just kind of quit doing the church thing. Until I was about 26 or 27, and my buddy invited me to go to church with him. And it was really enjoyable. And then he invited me to this class that they had for people in their 20s and 30s, singles. And uh, I showed up there, and uh, they welcomed me in, and there was tons of them. And uh, I started hanging out with them and doing some things with them and going to class on Sundays, doing some other things. It seems like it was always Pizza Hut after the service. And then eventually started kind of doing some things on the weekends, and I actually would go to people's homes on Friday nights and have a Bible study. I didn't do those kind of things on Friday nights before that. That was a whole new thing. And it was fun. We had a great time. We laughed. Uh, They welcomed me in. They they let me ask questions. I started reading the Bible regularly for the first time. I was a, a moron as a follower of Jesus, But they let me be a moron, and they smiled. I mean, they welcomed me in, and I grew, and I asked some questions, and they poured into me, and I spent time with them, and I got to know this this friendship with these folks that I had never had before with solid believers of Jesus, and they kind of ushered me in my next steps of spiritual maturity, and it was great. And I'm still with friends with some of those folks today. Then I heard the story about uh, this gentleman I was reading about this just a couple weeks ago and uh, this guy when he's preparing to go to church on Sundays he gets up he walks into his office and he turns on his computer he logs into his favorite virtual reality site and becomes goose and he's got his little avatar and he's kind of flying around in that virtual reality world until he finds his church And he settles into the church, and he starts welcoming and greeting other people that are attending, some of which he knows, some are guests. And he's welcoming them and talking to them until finally the worship begins. The music begins, and all the avatars kind of settle in to prepare for the service. And then when Goose's time of the service begins, he gets up and he preaches. And he shares his message about Jesus. Jesus. You see, Goose's real name is Michael, and Michael is actually on staff of a church out west during the week, but on the weekends, he becomes Goose, and he's the lead pastor of a virtual reality online site. It's a different world, different world than what I experienced 30 years ago, different world than what we were experiencing maybe five years ago. Things are transitioning. Is what are we to do with that? Is that is that real? Is that is that is he they experiencing biblical fellowship, genuine community that we just experienced as part of the body of Christ a moment ago? I don't know. Well, Grace Fellowship Church went through a transition themselves about 10 years ago. The elders at that time Uh, We kind of took a hard look at the church, what was working, what wasn't working, and uh, decided to do some things differently. One of those was based on uh, the fact that we we felt like we were too internally focused. And so we reset the vision and the mission of Grace Fellowship Church to be about going and making disciples, disciple-making, being involved in other people's lives, both in the church and outside the church. And so we decided if that was going to be the direction for our church, we needed some new core values that if if these words aren't followed and they're not part of what we do on a daily basis, we're not gonna be a disciple-making church and reaching unreached people. So here's those five values that we decided upon at that time. Number one was real relationships. We had to be an authentic community with one another, knowing each other's good sides and bad sides. The second one was the generosity. If you're going to be a disciple maker and pouring into other people's lives, you had better be generous with your time and your money and your talents. And then number three, we had to do that as a team. It was going to be about all of us working together, not just a couple people on a staff. There had to be an external focus. It had to be about the people that were outside of this and not just inside of this. And then the fifth one, if we're doing all those things, we're going to be multiplying. Multiplying new believers, multiplying disciples of Jesus, multiplying leaders, maybe even multiplying churches. And so those are the five core values of Grace Fellowship Church. And for the next five weeks, we're going to be taking you through them. And you're going to hear from a variety of elders and and people on our staff to share with you about the core values of Grace Fellowship Church. Um, today I have the opportunity as the small groups pastor here at Grace Fellowship to take you through, number one, we're going to be talking about real relationships and what that looks like. And the second thing I'm going to do today is when we look at what real relationships is, and I'm going to talk about three different things involving real relationships. Let me give you those three things first. That I think three, that real relationships depend on these three things right here. Number one is followership. Maybe a new word for some of you. Number two, fellowship. And number three, community. We're going to take a look at each one of these words. And the second thing we're going to do as we go along through this is we're going to leave our Western American mindset and go back into the biblical Eastern mindset of what these words really mean. Okay? So we're going to leave what we're used to thinking about here with our U.S. vision, and we're going to go back and look at a biblical first century vision for how these words need to fit into our lives today. Okay? So that's the second thing we're going to be doing this. So first, real relationships, I think, begins with followership. Like I said, that may be a new word for you. Here's a famous thing you've heard before, if you've been following Jesus for a while, Mark eight thirty four. Jesus said this, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Follow me. Followership is at the heart of being a disciple of Jesus, a heart of being a Christian. We are the sheep. He is the shepherd. The idea of following is in dozens of New Testament verses. Jesus used the term follow about 20 times. Paul uses the same, a different word. He doesn't use the word follow as much, but he uses a bunch of words that have to do with imitating Jesus or being a mo- Jesus being our model. That was the way Paul talked about it in a lot of the rest of the letters of the New Testament. Also, the idea of Jesus being our Lord. He's our Lord and Savior. If he's our Lord, that means we're following his lordship. There's a book I was handed a a few weeks ago called The Call to Follow. And it defines this idea of followership in three ways. It says first there's deference. There's deference. You're, You're voluntarily placing yourself under the authority of someone else. You're deferring to something that is above you. Second thing, there's engagement. And not just a, hey, I'm following you because I'm supposed to or because you're the boss and I'm not and I'm just doing this. Engagement in this idea of followership means you're enjoying it. It's, it's, you're, you, it's a good thing. It's a healthy thing. It's, there's a desire to do it, not just an obligation. Third thing, there's mission ownership. As you follow someone, you're taking on what they say is our mission. And you're right there along with that mission with them. There's a desire to glorify God and be a part of his kingdom mission. Now, these three things right here, these are hard for us. We don't like to defer at times anything. We like our way, we like our thoughts, our our, our sinfulness, our selfishness creeps in here. And this following thing becomes really hard, especially when we're supposed to do it in every part of our life. All the areas of our life. Engagement is hard too because, again, it's meant to be a joyful obligation, not just an obligation. It's meant to be desire. And, And I know some of you are struggling in your journey with Jesus. It doesn't seem to be that Enjoyable. It's hard. There's something missing. It's, it's frustrating to you. You're, you're, you struggle with that. And for some of you, mission ownership is a hard thing. You struggle because you're not sure of your place of, that you're called to, to be. What's your gift? Where, where is God using you? What am I supposed to be doing as part of this kingdom? As a part of this body of Christ? I know it's, it's hard. It's frustrating at times. But followership has all three of these things, and they need to fit into our life and the way we think through our week, the way we think through our day, the way we think through our work, the way we think through our family, the way we think through our friendships. Followership is a part of all of these things. Now, of course, our model for this is Jesus, John when when his uh, the disciple John when he wrote about this idea of following and about Jesus's following in John listen to all that he says. In John 5:19 he describes Jesus describes himself as a follower who does nothing of his own accord but only what he sees his father doing. In chapter 5 verse 36 Jesus points out that his works testified that he has been sent. In 6:38 he makes it clear that he's not acting on his own will but rather subordinates his will to the one who sent him. In 7.16 and 8.26, we discover that Jesus' teaching is not his own, he says, but comes from the Father who sent him. In 8.28, he says he does not act on his own authority and that his comings and goings are appointed by his Father. In 10.18 and 10.29, he says the sheep know and follow his voice. The sheep that know and follow his voice are not really his sheep, but a gift he received from the Father. In 1249, he says he's not giving commands, but rather delivering them on behalf of his father. In 1431, he says he lives as one who only obeys commands of someone else. And in 1510, he models obedience because he says it's the key to abiding in his father's love. Jesus modeled what a follower looks like because he was following his father in everything that he did. Here's a quote from that book, The Call to Follow. It's a long one. I think it's up on your screen. It says, The commitment to follow to follow well uh, as a worthy calling in and of itself is a fact made very clear in Scripture. A disciple of God is most fundamentally a follower, a follower of Jesus. Followers of Jesus have far-reaching impact and influence, and they do not have to become leaders in order to have such an impact. As followers, we simply join in what God is doing in the world. Our lives are written into his story. Finding one's position as a leader is not nearly as important as understanding your place as a follower in God's kingdom. The calling to serve as a follower does not rely on drawing attention to oneself, but to the God who calls us to represent him in spheres of influence as his ambassadors. Now, we said that we were going to look back into biblical times and understand what this looked like from a first century Eastern perspective as well. Not just we think, what we think of as leaders and followers here in the, first, uh, in the 21st century. So, uh, as Paul was writing his letters to those in the New Testament, here's the words that Paul used to describe people who believed in Jesus. He used the word followers, he used the word servants, and he used the words Bond slaves. Now, we right now, twenty first century, those are hot topics. Being called a servant, being called a, anything with the word slave in it. Boy, that's that just puts people. I mean, people step back from that. They don't. That, that's that's derogatory. Well, imagine in Paul's time, most people were servants and slaves of Rome. And they were a lot harsher than anything we're experiencing right now. And Paul choose, chose to use the words servants and bond slaves to describe believers of Jesus. They would have thought he was crazy. That's degrading, they would have said. And Paul intentionally chose those harsh words to describe people who said they believed in Jesus. You would better be a bond slave and you would better be a servant. Let that soak in for just a minute of what those first century followers of Jesus would have thought about that. Paul didn't hold back, though. This is who you are. It's a joy to be a follower of Jesus now. It's meant to be in joy, to lay our life at his feet and defer our ways to his ultimate mission. Jesus didn't say, follow me and find the church. He didn't say, follow me and find the the worship music that you like. He didn't say, follow me to the right place where there's a lot of movers and shakers in the city that you can connect with. He said, follow me to a life of submission and transformation into the fellowship and community of the body of Christ. So real relationships begin with followership. And us all being good followers. Now, healthy followership leads to healthy fellowship. So when Jesus called his disciples into uh, fellowship, he was calling them into fellowship. Uh, if you look back at the, the the life of Jesus and his disciples in, in the Gospels, it's not frequently that he's just with one of them. He spends a lot of time, at least from what we can see from the Gospels, he was with At least two or three or four or twelve or men and women both in these little pockets and these little groups. He doesn't seem to be with them alone very much. He's helping them deal with life together. He's helping them work out things together. He was with them in the synagogue. He was with them at community events like the weddings and other kinds of things. He wanted them to be with one of us to learn how to to wrestle through life's problems together, how to deal with sin together, how to laugh and be joyful, have fun with one another, how to be challenged and convicted of things with one another, how to be on mission with one another. That's why it was called fellowship, not individualship. He called us to be in fellowship because he knew that real relationships could only exist, not by yourself, but with others. The Greek word for fellowship is the word koinonia. You'll see it up there on your screen. I hope I said it correctly. <laughs> it's an interactive relationship between God and believers who are sharing this new life in Christ. So you see the, the vertical relationship going on between us and God, and then this horizontal relationship going on with each other, and we're all trying to figure this out together with God and with each other. That's Koinonia. It's fellowship. It's this figuring out what this life in the Spirit with each other and with God is all about. We're, we're all working on, on that kind of stuff. Uh, it's interesting in Scripture as well, this idea of fellowship is very closely tied in with, with family, the word family. You see Jesus and Paul talking about that. Um, when we use the word family, we mostly think of like just our immediate people, maybe grandparents or our parents, our kids, grandkids, grandparents, you know, it's just kind of people close in with us. But for the Eastern side, the biblical side of fellowship or family, family was the entire bloodline. Going back centuries, thinking ahead centuries, it was, it was the whole bloodline, that was family. And... Jesus even alludes to this in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Uh, some people around said, uh, Jesus said, Hey, isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? You see, they were saying this about Jesus because Jesus was confusing them. They just knew Jesus as a carpenter within this his family, this bloodline. And all of a sudden, Jesus is starting to do these, saying these things, and there's people following him, and he's become this rabbi. And it's freaking people out. So you get also, a little bit later on, you also see this. Uh, and this is, a, this is a, I know we gloss over some things in Scripture. This is a crazy story too. Um, Jesus is doing some teaching. And some people show up and, uh, uh, and are waiting outside for Jesus. And somebody says uh, to Jesus, "Hey, your mother, mothers and brother, your mother and brothers are outside. They want to speak with you." And Jesus says this to him. He says, "Here are my br- mothers and brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother." He says that in Matthew chapter twelve. That was crazy for him to say that, because those people that he's sitting there in front of, that he's talking to was not his family according to the first century idea of family. They weren't in his blood. They were following him as new believers in him, and he said, These are my, this is my family. Not just my bloodline out there. This is my family. That was shocking for those people listening to Jesus to hear that. It would have blown them away. It doesn't blow us away at all. It would have blown them away to hear Jesus say that, because he equates fellowship and family being the same. When you have a brother and sister in Christ that you're sitting next to right now, that's family in a a way that we don't quite yet understand. Paul does the same thing. He compares uh, fellowship, people, believers in Jesus with family as well. Because he says, treat younger men as your brothers. Treat older women as your mothers. Treat younger women as your sisters with ap- absolute purity. So their language about family and fellowship was just uh, countercultural, even for that time. But it allows for real relationships with each other to grow. I came across a story recently that, that personifies this idea of family in the Eastern context. There's a, a man uh, who's from Indonesia. And he decided to, to, to head off to the big city and uh, make a name for himself and seek fame and fortune. And, uh, but he didn't have much money, so he stowed away on a boat. This is just within the last couple decades. Hides away on a boat, but they find him in transit. So they kick him off, and he ends up in this town called Minato. No money, didn't know anybody, didn't know what to do. But as he's trying to figure out what does he do, He remembers that his great-grandfather once told him that he had relatives up in this village, this mountain village above Manato. So, he spends the next few days trying to ask people questions and and get to some village and find out, and he gets up to, and he finds out, hey, I'm looking for a family here, and this is my brother, and this is my great-grandfather, and all this stuff, and he eventually makes his way to this village up in the mountain, knocks on this door, this man comes to the door, and they begin talking. And they're trying to decide, figure out, uh, yeah, this was my brother, and this is my grandfather, and this was my dad, and I had mothers here and grandmothers here. And they eventually realize that they're long, um, distant, distantly related. And the guy invites them in to live for eight years. Now, can you imagine that kind of hospitality and obligation in your neighborhood? Would we do that? Would you do that? Would I do that? I I don't know. This wasn't their mother, their brother, their cousin. Long lost, distantly related. But that gives you an idea of what family means. What can we learn from that idea of family? Number three. Let's talk about community. We talked about fo- fellowship. We talked about fellowship. Let's talk about community a little bit as well. Guess what the Greek word for community is? Same as fellowship. It's koinonia. But there's a little bit of a different distinction. You know, definitions can be a little bit broad. And so, yes, what we said earlier is, is the definition for fellowship. Um, but koin, the, the word for community takes it a little bit deeper. It describes koinonia as active participation in Chris, Christian fellowship. So it's active. part. It's not just I'm here and I'm with you guys because we're all part of this thing automatically when we believe in Jesus. But there's community means you're actively participating in it. There's a deeper deeper level though. there. You see this in the famous book of Acts, this story. Acts chapter 2 when the, the, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on people and the church comes together and they're trying to figure things out. And it says, everyone was filled with awe at the mighty wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together, praising God and enjoyed the favor of all the people. You see active participation in that? They're with each other. But not just on a Sunday. They're with each other the rest of the week, doing things, engaged in their community, engaged with each other, sharing with those who had need. Um, There's a book called Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. And the authors discuss, spend the whole book discussing this difference between Western views of life and Eastern views. Views of life. In Western societies, like America, the most important entity they say is the individual person. A person's identity comes by distinguishing herself from everyone else. She's encouraged to avoid peer pressure and be an independent thinker. She will make her decisions regardless of what others think. He, maybe even without his parents, decides on college, a major, a career, a spouse, the highest golden virtue in this Western culture is being true to oneself. The supreme value is the sovereignty sovereignty of the individual individual rights. This is what makes people happy in the West. And I was driving down Lingard Drive, and you know how pals likes to put their little phrases up there. This is just a few days ago. This is what I saw on pals. Choose your own path. Now. If pals decide to franchise in Kenya or Jerusalem or Indonesia, are you going to see that slogan on that, pals? No. Mm-hmm. So is that slogan biblical? Can we wrestle with that for a little bit? Now, I'm not trying to ruin your, 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 your pals, you, you pals people. You can still go get your cheddar rounds. And not feel guilty about it, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But I'm, I'm not sure that's a biblical phrase. In the Eastern-oriented community and culture, the most important entity is the community, or the family, or the tribe, or, or the country, not the individual. Preserving the harmony of the community is everyone's primary goal. And it's perceived as much more important than self-expression, or being self-fulfilled, A person's identity comes not from distinguishing himself from the community, but knowing and faithfully fulfilling his place in the community. One's goal is not to get ahead or to move on without the community. Rather, the members of this culture make decisions based on the counsel of elders or parents or aunts and uncles. The highest goal and virtue of Eastern culture is supporting the community. This is what makes people happy. Um, I'm going to show you a little verse here that, that kind of speaks to the difference in the way that we look at uh, this idea of individual versus community when we look at Scripture again from Western eyes. Here's a famous verse you find in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. A lot of us know that verse. But we might not know how it's really written in the Greek. When we usually see that, we see that the U, we read that usually as the U is singular. And that temples is plural. That's not the way it is in the Greek. The U in the Greek, the U is plural. So Paul's speaking to all of us that are believers in Jesus, not just us as individuals. He's speaking to all of us. And in the Greek, temples is actually singular. We're all one temple. We're not a bunch of individual temples running around. We're all together, one temple. So if we're reading these verses with Eastern eyes, with a biblical mindset, we're going we're to take from this that what we do with our bodies affects the entire body of Christ. It's not just our own personal health. What we eat, what we do physically, sexually, other things with our bodies... It's affecting the whole body of Christ. That's why we need to read Scripture with Eastern eyes. If you were here a couple weeks ago, we showed a video on on a Saturday night uh, about the persecuted church. And the gentleman who made that film had this one quote. He said, said, there are not two churches, the persecuted church and the unpersecuted church. You remember what he said for those of you that were here? There's one church. And we're all being affected by what happens to those who are persecuted or not persecuted. There's another quote I wanted to put up here. This is from Lou Holtz. Uh, He's a famous football coach, retired now. Uh, But he was asked about what's the difference between Uh, his athletes today and athletes from 50 years ago. And here's what he said. He said, simple, today's athletes talk about rights and privileges and the players 50 years ago talked about obligations and responsibilities. So our culture has shifted to be even more individualistic, not more about community. So today is meant to, to take us back to the ideas of fellowship and followership, and community. So here's some, some, what do we do with this? Okay, Here's some, some things I think we can wrestle with. And, and you might find yourself, I'm sure all of us will find ourselves in one of these things. First thing, what do we need to do with this? One is, is some of you need to open up. You're a part of Grace Fellowship, you get, you're involved in things, maybe you're in your life group, uh, maybe you're not, but you need to open up your life more. You need to share more about what's going on in your life. Your hurts, your hopes, your dreams, your brokenness. Maybe for some of you, opening up is your next step into being part of this larger community of the body of Christ. Secondly, some of you need to pay the price. You're not quite as involved as you should be because, uh, to be honest, being involved in the body of Christ will cost you. Remember the verse we said earlier, deny yourself take up your cross and follow me there's a cost element time money commitments it costs you to be an active follower of jesus in the body of christ fulfilling god's mission that he has for you and for the body of christ and number three some of you just need to lean in you're kind of associated with grace fellowship but you're kind of not so I'm going to take my, my staff hat off for a second. I'm going to put on my elder hat and let you know what some of the elders talk about behind your back. We don't know who we're shepherding exactly. We are called to shepherd the people that are part of Grace Fellowship Church. And we know a number of you that are because you're here and you're involved and you're connected and you're serving and you're growing and God's changing your life and you're helping to change other people's lives. But there's a certain percentage of people that are here that aren't quite, we don't know if you're really here or not. Because you might not be in a life group, you might not be in a Bible study, you might not have gone through discovery or maybe you went through discovery but you never signed the fellowship covenant so we don't know if you liked us or, or don't like us. We want you to lean in. Some of you just need to lean in and either decide this is the place for you to get involved in the community or there's another place that's a better fit for you. We're fine with that. We just want you to lean in somewhere to be a part of God's community and the mission within that. So let me finish with this. Just got a couple minutes. Today's Life Group Sunday, and um, uh, we're going to leave here. We're going dis- to dismiss you. There's not a final song or anything like that. We're- I'm going to pray over you and dismiss you and uh, uh, give you a chance to-, to jump in on a life group for this semester if you're not already. Uh, let me give you some benefits of being a part of a life group, to being involved, invested in a community of believers, a small group of believers. Uh, This comes from, if you did our 21 days of prayer and fasting, this was one of those days. Uh, And so I just stole these right out of that. Here's what being part of a life group, here's some of the benefits. They firm up our internal commitments. Whatever God's doing in you, when you share that with others, they can affirm that and firm that up in you. So you don't have to wrestle like I was a meanderer from age 22 to 26 or 27. It's because I wasn't connected with a body. Those, those group of believers affirm things that God was doing in my life. Number two, life groups wake up our experience of what true fellowship is. I thought I knew about true fe- fellowship. High school friends, know that. I, didn't, I found it when I found this place with those folks in their 20s and 30s. Number three, they level up our power for greater impact. You'll have greater power as a follower of Jesus, and you'll make more of a difference with a group of believers than you will by yourself. That's how the Holy Spirit works. That's how God's kingdom works. Number four, life groups build up our capacity to love like Jesus. They will strengthen you when you're weak, and they will help you love better because you're immersed in community with other believers. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you were challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.